0: Dawn Coons was born in 1960 in Yonkers, New York. She was the middle child of three. She had an older and younger brother. The Coons family was close-knit. A brother described Dawn as the light of their family. He said, quote, "...from the time she was a child, she was remarkable, not only for her beauty, but for her intelligence and her essence." Everyone described Dawn as thoughtful and kind. Friends from high school in Yonkers said Dawn was extremely bright. But like so many kids, Love distracted the teenager from her schoolwork. Dawn fell in love with Steve Shirley, an older teenager. When Steve graduated and moved to Bakersfield, Dawn dropped out of high school and followed her boyfriend to California. She was trying to find herself. She figured she'd come to California, continue her education, and possibly pursue a career in modeling or acting. So in 1978, Dawn moved to Bakersfield, chasing love and big dreams. This is Solved Cold Case. Steve Shirley arrived in Bakersfield during the summer of 1978. His girlfriend, Dawn Coons, from Yonkers, New York, arrived a few months later, in the fall of 1978. Dawn moved in with Steve in his apartment in southwest Bakersfield. She got a job as a server at the Breakers restaurant on the corner of Stockdale Highway and California Avenue. The couple hadn't been living together very long when their relationship soured. After only four or five weeks, Dawn moved out. Mutual friends claim the couple's problems stem from Steve's jealousy. Dawn moved out of Steve's apartment and rented a place on her own. It was in a large apartment complex at 2220 South Rill Road, the Casa Rill Apartments. Even though their breakup wasn't amicable, Steve helped Don find an apartment. He helped her lease it. Then he helped her move and even helped her furnish it. Living separately, the two communicated mostly by phone. Either Don or Steve would pick up the phone to check in on the other. One time, Don called Steve to tell him about a man walking into her apartment, uninvited. Steve told Don to hang up and call 911. Steve could hear the man say, No, don't call the police. Dawn didn't call 911. She didn't need to. The man left. But she never reported the incident to police or her apartment management. The man was a resident of the same apartment complex on South Rill. He lived with his girlfriend just behind Dawn's apartment. So Dawn had frequent encounters with him in the common areas of the complex, mostly at the mailboxes. On more than one occasion, Dawn mentioned these encounters to Steve, telling him how creepy this man made her feel. She said the man would just stare at her, watch her the entire time it took her to check the mail and walk back to her apartment. During this time, Dawn began dating another young man. This new boyfriend's name was Brian. Dawn and Brian were casually dating. Nothing too serious yet. On Friday, January 12, 1979, in the afternoon, late afternoon, a co worker from Breakers stopped at Dawn's apartment to give her a ride to work. This co worker was named Diane. Diane arrived at the apartment. Dawn invited her in to wait while she finished getting ready. The apartment was tidy and clean, the bed was even nicely made. When Don was finished getting ready, the two left to work their shifts at the Breaker's restaurant. Both Don and Diane worked until about 8.30 p.m. They stopped at another restaurant to unwind. They ate some french fries and had a glass of wine. While they were relaxing, the two made plans for the next morning. They'd go horseback riding together. Diane gave Don a ride to her apartment on South Rill. They arrived at the complex at about 10.30 p.m. Before getting out of the car, the two confirmed their date to go horseback riding the next morning. Dawn got out of the car. Diane watched as Dawn walked into her apartment. Early the next morning, Saturday... As planned, Diane went to Don's apartment to pick her up so they could go horseback riding. Diane knocked on Don's door, but she didn't answer. Diane wrote a note and taped it to the front door, basically asking, Hey, what's going on? We were supposed to go horseback riding. When Diane got off work, she stopped by the apartment again. Diane called Don's apartment multiple times. Each time, Don failed to answer the phone brian don's new boyfriend he too dropped by don's apartment and never got an answer this went on for several days then on january 16th brian went to breaker's restaurant don's place of employment to see if anyone there knew what was going on he found out from don's co-workers that she failed to show up for several of her shifts brian next called Don's apartment manager. He said he was concerned about her. She wasn't answering her phone or door and failed to show up for work. He asked the apartment manager if she could go check in on Don. The apartment manager called Don's number and she didn't answer. Using a pass key, the manager entered Don's apartment. Nothing seemed suspicious in the living room or kitchen of the small apartment, but when she entered the bedroom things changed. It looked like a struggle had taken place there. A bedside lamp was knocked over and the telephone was on the floor with the cord cut. Next, the manager went to the bathroom and that's where she found Dawn's nude, lifeless body in the bathtub, lying face up with her wrists bound behind her back and a pillowcase over her head. The manager screamed, ran out of the apartment, and called the Bakersfield Police Department. During the investigation, there was no evidence that anybody forced their way into Dawn's apartment. That means that Dawn either let the killer in or Dawn simply failed to lock her door. It appeared to authorities that the attack on Dawn began in the bedroom and ended in the bathroom where her attacker left her body in the bathtub. An autopsy was performed the next day. The coroner ruled that Don Coon's death was a homicide. She'd been strangled to death with a telephone cord. Using the timeline provided by Don's co-worker, Diane, that she dropped Dawn off at her apartment around 10.30 Friday night and returned to the apartment early Saturday morning and Dawn failed to answer the door, detectives believe Dawn was killed sometime in that time frame. Detectives first interviewed Brian, the new boyfriend, but he had a solid alibi that checked out. Next, investigators talked to Steve, the boyfriend Don followed from New York to Bakersfield and recently broke up. He, too, had an alibi. But there was just something about Steve that didn't sit well with police. Mainly, it was because they felt he had a motive to kill Don. He was the jealous ex-boyfriend. That automatically made him their prime suspect. Steve was so eager to prove his innocence that he agreed to submit to a polygraph test. The test showed he didn't have anything to do with Don's killing. During this questioning, Steve told detectives about the neighbor man who creeped Don out. The police went to this man. His name was Prentice Foreman. They asked him if he knew Don. He said he knew who she was just from seeing her around the apartment complex. But that was the extent of their relationship. They asked if he'd ever been in her apartment. He said no. Police asked Foreman where he was around the time Don was killed. Foreman said he was with a female friend that night to the early morning. Since this information about the neighbor came from Steve, the prime suspect, Police felt Steve was trying to direct their attention away from himself. But with all the suspects having alibis for the late night or early morning Dawn was murdered, detectives didn't have anything left. They hit a dead end. That was 1979. The original Bakersfield police detectives who worked Dawn's homicide retired. Through the years, other detectives would take a look at the case, looking for something, anything that may have been missed. But mostly, it just sat there, growing colder every year that passed. In 2010, the Bakersfield Police Department's Cold Case Unit began reviewing evidence collected during the original investigation. During this review, detectives discovered a rape kit that had never been analyzed, It had never been tested for DNA. Now, I'm not going to pretend to know a lot about DNA, but this is how I understand what transpired. Evidently, there wasn't enough DNA in this rape kit to upload to CODIS, the FBI's nationwide database. But there was enough to compare to individual suspects. At least that's how I interpret what happened here. Since investigators were able to compare the DNA against an individual, they focused their attention to the single primary suspect. The one person most agreed was the person who had motive to kill Don, the logical suspect, Steve, Don's ex-boyfriend. Detectives tracked Steve down. He was living in Florida. So off Bakersfield detectives went, Florida to subject Steve to another round of questioning and to collect a DNA sample from their primary suspect. To most everyone's surprise, except Steve, I'm sure, his DNA wasn't a match to the DNA collected from the rape kit. For 30 years, Steve lived his life with this cloud of suspicion over his head. Police, to many of Don's family members and friends, most people believed Steve was Don's killer. But thanks to this DNA evidence, police finally eliminated Steve as a suspect. But this also meant the investigation was cold, as cold as when they first came across the rape kit. They still didn't have any other suspects. That is until three years later, an investigator with the Kern County Coroner's Office, discovered a banker's box in storage. It was filled with evidence from old cases. In this box, mixed in with materials from other cases, was a set of slides. Two of these slides had the words "coons" and a case number, C-051-79, the coroner's case number, for Don Kuhn's autopsy from 1979. When the crime lab processed these slides, they discovered ample amounts of DNA, enough to upload to CODIS, the nationwide database. When the results came back, investigators got a hit. They matched a 59 year old Bakersfield man, a long haul truck driver who had a lengthy criminal record. His name was Prentice Foreman. Here is former Kern County District Attorney Lisa Green and former Bakersfield Police Chief Lyle Martin announcing the arrest of Prentice Foreman in 2018.
1: The reason for this, or the subject of this press conference, is a 39 year old homicide. In 1979, 18 year old Don Coons. Uh, was found uh, murdered in her apartment here in Bakersfield. She was found in uh, her bathtub, um, naked. She, her hands, uh, wrists were tied with the telephone cord behind her back. There was a pillowcase over her head, and uh, some of the telephone cord was wrapped around her neck. And um, this case uh, was essentially unsolved for 39 years. But we did want to um, hold this press conference to to inform Um, the public um, of the arrest that was made in this case.
2: The initial investigation was an extensive investigation in 1979. However, the case went cold. The case has been periodically reviewed by detectives at the Bakersfield Police Department, which is the policy of our Homicide Division as cases are passed from detectives who are either leaving the division or retiring to the detectives that are coming in. And over the years, evidence has been submitted to the Kern County Crime Lab for analysis. In 2012, detectives believed that they had possible leads and they recontacted the district attorney's office and the crime lab and began working on things. In 2015, we learned of possible DNA evidence linking the suspect to the homicide. That suspect is identified as Prentice Foreman, It is uh, extremely important to point out that in 1979, the detectives that worked this case had the forethought to collect every bit of evidence that they could, even though the techniques that we use today weren't even thought of at that time. Several detectives have reviewed this case over the years. Homicide detectives are traditionally assigned cold cases to review, to get new perspectives and a new set of eyes on the evidence because we do refer to these as cold cases. But I can tell you that Kern County Law Enforcement, Bakersfield Police Department, Kern County Sheriff's Department, and the Kern County District Attorney's Office, no case is cold to us. We are constantly and continually working hard to bring closure for the families who are hurting. And we hope that this little bit of uh, work towards this case renew that hope for someone out there who is hurting who has a case that has not been resolved to this point.
1: Mr. Foreman has been charged with one count of first-degree murder with the special circumstances of murder in the course of a rape or an attempted rape, and special circumstance of murder in the course of a burglary.
0: Remember when Steve, Don's ex boyfriend, told detectives about Foreman? Remember when they questioned Foreman and he claimed he had an alibi for where he was when Don was killed? When the current Bakersfield police detectives went to ask this alibi if she was with Foreman, she said no. She was out of state, going to school, and her school records back this up. Detectives went back to the crime scene at 2220 South Railroad. Road. They wanted to get a perspective of where Foreman's apartment was compared to Don's apartment. Foreman's apartment was directly behind Don's apartment. He lived in an upstairs unit with a window that looked directly down on Don's apartment. Investigators theorize that Foreman was able to look out his window to stalk Dawn to watch her as she came and left her apartment. They think he very well may have been watching the night of January 12, 1979 as Dawn was dropped off by her co-worker. Sadly, Dawn's mother, the original police detective and the pathologist who oversaw Don's autopsy all passed away before this case was solved. In June 2019, over 40 years after her death, a Kern County jury found Prentice Foreman guilty of murdering Don Coons. He was sentenced to 25 years to life. Resources used to research this story the Bakersfield, Californian, caselaw.com, and On the Case with Paula Zahn. This is Robert Peterson. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Notorious Bakersfield podcast. I'll be back next week with another Notorious Bakersfield story. Have a good week.